I, I wanted to be a doctor because to me, I thought being a doctor was like to be a magician. That's really what I thought it was because I suffered from asthma as a child. And, um, and my mom would take me to the hospital and they would give me these medications. Well, now I know they're doing this, but like back then I, I, you know, I didn't know what they were giving me. They were just giving me stuff and I would feel better, uh, you know? And I just, oh my God, I would see this tall guy with this, like this long white coat, you know what I mean? And his stethoscope was like this long, you know? It's, it's like, whoa, this guy looks like a magician. I want to be a magician when I grow up, you know? And, you know, eventually later on, as I'm growing up, I'm realizing, oh, you know, they're not, they're not magicians, they're healthcare workers. to our Crafting Wellness podcast. I am so excited today to introduce you to Gael. He is an emergency medicine doctor. Um, I'm excited to be with you guys, honestly. Uh, you guys, the company means a lot to me. Um, so I'm just excited to be here with you guys. We're so excited to have you. Can you kind of just give us a little introduction? Just tell us your name, where you're from, where you are right now, and what you do. Okay, um, so my name is Gael Serafin. Um, I'm a PGY1 at uh, Jacoby Montefiore Einstein, um, you know, emergency program right now. Um, I was born in Florida on a Tuesday, but the same Friday I was taken to Haiti and I grew up there until I was like 16, 17. And, um, you know, I, I initially didn't have any um, uh, plan. You know, I had the dream of becoming a doctor, but I didn't have any plan on becoming a doctor until years and years later when I moved here to New York. I currently live in Queens, New York right now, and I've been living here for the past 13 years, and, and I'm working in the Bronx as an emergency medicine doctor. <laughs> okay, so you left Haiti when you were 16, 17, and you came to New York right away? Yeah, yeah, I came, so I came, so my sister was at the time, so, um, so I like to say, one of the reasons I like to say I was born in Miami, but I'm really a Haitian at heart, was because of my experiences in Haiti. Um, obviously I grew up there, obviously, but really what's really impressive is that I grew up in Haiti between a certain time, between the, um, yeah, I mean, I was there all, all my life, you know, but I feel like the, the time frame between 1998 to 2005 is what makes me Haitian. Um, and, you know, the Haiti, Haiti was a complete mess at the time, you know, like governmental wise and, and um, you know, just like so many civil wars going on at that time. And I think that that experience is what makes me Haitian. Um, but it was getting very, very difficult. It was getting increasingly dif difficult for me to go to, uh, to, go to school. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, like, there would be like, you know, just different manifestations and then just war in the streets. And sometimes I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I would go weeks and weeks and I couldn't go to school. Um, but my sister at the time had already left Haiti. My sister left Haiti like in 1997, 1998, 1999 or so. Um, she was studying law here. And, you know, around 2004, 2005, when, when my mom realized that it was very difficult to send me to school, because I was going to school and she realized it was difficult. So she sent me to New York where my sister already was because she didn't want to, she didn't want to study in New York anymore. She wanted to study law and become a lawyer. And she just came to New York to finish high school. And she was already here at John Jay College in, in New York City studying pre-law. And I decided to just come and live with her for a little bit. And um, we moved in. Um, she was living in Queens in a one-bedroom apartment. Um, and eventually that changed because the, the, the super just 
couldn't handle the the, the, the the place anymore. So she was then put in a house, um, in a family house where she had like a, a room in the house, but she was sharing everything else, you know, the, the kitchen, the, the the bathroom. And we shared the kitchen, the bathroom with one Egyptian man and three men from Honduras. Well, two from Guatemala, one from Honduras. And um, I just was, I came and I stayed with her and we just, we just banged it out from there, you know? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just some toughness and some resilience there, you know, going to, to New York so young and your sister following in your sister's footsteps sounds like she set a good example. So I'm sure you're really close with your family. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as far as the as far as setting the tone um, and making sure that education was important, it started with my uncle, then it trickled down to my mom, but my sister definitely took the torch. Like she definitely carried everything, um, you know, because she was very serious about school. Um, and that really affected me because I felt like I couldn't really sit back. Um, you know, even though I was growing up in Jamaica, Queens at the time, which was a very super dangerous area, but the way she was carrying herself, I couldn't sit back and act like school was not important to me. So even if I wanted to become a slacker or whatever the case is, I couldn't do it because my sister was already setting the trend and I couldn't, I couldn't sit back and not follow for sure. Yeah. So, okay, so how did you find your way into medicine then from there? How did it tell us a little bit about that journey? <laughs> so medicine to me, um, it's, to me, it's like full of layers. Um, I, I wanted to be a doctor because to me, I thought being a doctor was like to be a magician. That's really what I thought it was because I suffered from asthma as a child. And, um, and my mom would take me to the hospital and they would give me these medications. Well, now I know they're doing this, but like back then, I, I, I didn't know what they were giving me. They were just giving me stuff and I would feel better, uh, you know? And I just, oh my God, I would see this tall guy with this, like this long white coat, you know what I mean? And his stethoscope was like this long, you know? It's, it's like, whoa, this guy looks like a magician. I wanna be a magician when I grow up, you know? And, you know, eventually later on, as I'm growing up, I'm realizing, oh, you know, they're not, they're not magicians, they're healthcare workers, um, but it still left something with me. Um, what became very much impressive was, was when I was growing in Haiti, you had all these different types of organizations, like, you know, Doctors Without Borders, UNICEF, and all these different big organizations that would come and set up shop in my neighborhood in Haiti. And they would have these long lines of people who couldn't get healthcare otherwise throughout the year. But every time these guys came by, you know, they would just do these long lines around these mobile clinics in the neighborhood. And that left an impression on me. So when I came to New York, I knew that I wanted to be a doctor. I, I knew that I wanted to get into medicine, but I didn't have a plan. Like I, I, didn't, I had no clue about the MCAT. I had no clue about, you know, volunteering. Um, I had no clue that I had to take like, you know, two years of biology, four years of chemistry, you know, like one year of general chemistry and, and, and well, two years of general chemistry, two years of organic chemistry, along with biochemistry. I didn't, I didn't have, I had no clue. I didn't have no clue. I didn't know you had to take physics and you have to take calculus and you have to take English. I didn't have no clue. Um, I went to Queens College and um, while I was there, I was pretty much, la I don't want to say lollygagging around, but I was pretty much going with the flow, you know, going with the flow. And it's like, you know, I'm just taking classes, but I don't really know how to really apply my semesters the correct way to really become a doctor. Mm -hmm. Then my dad had a heart attack in front of me uh, back in 2012, I would say. Yeah, 2012, he had a heart attack in front of me. And I didn't know what to do. And it just was at home. And uh, we took him to Queens Hospital. And I just 
remember seeing all these doctors coming outside because they thought he had a stroke, but he was having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. I panicked, you know, because I drove him to the hospital myself because he, he didn't, he didn't want to wait for the ambulance. So I drove to the hospital. I was like skipping red lights all throughout the, you know, all throughout Queens. You know, I just, I took like 15 minutes, but I, I got him there and I just yelled, you know, my daddy's sick and everybody, I'm talking about at least like two nurses and three doctors came out and they took him from me. And I realized as they were going, these little tags, like emergency, emergency, I was seeing all of their badges and I was like, you know what? All right. I need to figure out. I need to figure out exactly how to become a doctor. So I went back to, um, to Queens College and I started having a conversation with people. You know, I was having a conversation with my math teachers, my biochemistry teachers, and I was just telling them, like, listen, I wanna be a doctor, but I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any help. I don't know, you know, nobody, nobody in my family is a doctor. And, I, and they just pointed me to the right people. Um, and thank God for this lady at Queens College. Her name is Maureen Pierce Anion. Um, she's a counselor there who specifically works with black students at Queens College. Her name is Maureen Pierce Anion. We call her Miss PA. And uh, she took me under her wings. Um, and then I realized that I was one out of seven black males out of at least 2000 uh, students applying each year to go to med school. And um, she was taking care of us. And she was telling us what, what to do. You know, she was saying, yeah, you know, you, you got to get an A in this class. You have to, you have to take this class and you have to get at least a B plus and you have to take this class and you have to get at least a, a, a minus. And she would just lay out things for us, um, for me specifically, because she gave me one-on-one -on -one time. So I'm very grateful to Miss P at Queens College for doing that. So that's, that really is my journey up until, up until the year before I took the MCAT to go to medical school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, we talk about this a little bit on the podcast other times that, you know, not, not to be afraid for people to reach out and ask for help because you've never done something before and you don't know how it works. And if you don't come from a family that has any kind of similar career path as whatever you're pursuing, it can be really challenging to kind of go over all of the obstacles. And then on top of the other challenges, it's it can be hard. So Miss P is the reason why technically I came across you guys, you know, because before Miss PA, um, I was I wasn't doing anything. I'll be honest. I wasn't doing any volunteer work. I wasn't. I was just taking classes at Queens College. And you know, and to be to be frank with you, I didn't do biology or chemistry. I did applied mathematics um, as my bachelor's. Miss PA was the one who told me, "Okay, it's okay if you do. It's okay if you do a, a, a major in theater, a, a major." And so, so all the medical students out there. It's okay if your major is not a it's not a bio major. It's okay if you don't have a bachelor's in bio or chemistry or physics. That's fine. But you must find a way to at least get your, you know, two years of biology, you know, two years of general chemistry, two years of organic chemistry, plus maybe like a year, plus or minus a year of biochemistry or microbiology, whatever you want to call it. And then you take calculus. And then you take, you know, you make sure you have your English literature or whatever literature prerequisites that, you know, because they want to make sure before you go to med school that you're proficient in English. Um, you know, so, I, so really as a medical student, so this is my advice to all medical students, you should be, be, you should be involved. Yes, you have to take your classes, you have to, you have to do well, but you should be involved in your community. 
um, you should be volunteering at a local hospital because medical schools will look at that. You should be participating in outreach communities and you know, just, you know, just communities that make you look like you're, you're an individual, that you're not staying at home and studying all day or that you're not participating in helping the world in any kind of way. Um, so with Miss PA, she gave me the opportunity to go look for our local hospitals around my neighborhood to find out how I can help as a volunteer. And more importantly, she gave me vouchers to go to medical conferences, okay? That's the most important thing because as a medical student, when you go to these medical conferences, you're gonna see all these big shot doctors and then you're gonna see these residents and then you're gonna see the medical students. So as a pre-med student, you're gonna be inspired and you're gonna feel like, okay, you know what? I can make it. If I see this girl, she can make it, I can make it too. And I went to AMEC, which is the annual medical educational conference. Um, it's to directed towards minorities, students. It's everybody, everybody goes there. But the majority of the people that go there are minority students. It's annually because of the pandemic, they haven't been doing it. But when I went there, and I went there at least three times during my pre-med, you know, my pre-med years, this is where I met a lot of people and I made a lot of connections that eased my way into medicine, um, to be fair and frank. And this is where I met MDF because you guys has you guys had a booth there. Okay. Yes, I see you representing there with our stethoscope. <laughs> 2013. Um, I don't remember the name of the guy that was there, but you guys had a booth there, MDF. I remember you guys very well. Because at that time, I didn't know about you guys at all, actually. Um, I would see people with litmans and stuff like that, but I never heard of any other stethoscopes, honestly. And um, and this guy was there and he was just, he had these racks and racks of like, you know, like stethoscopes and boxes. And it was just said MDF instruments. And I remember seeing him and I'm like, hey, like, what the hell is this? Is why I said this specifically. I'm like, oh, what is that? And he looked at me, he's like, oh, we sell stethoscopes. Um, I was like, oh, okay, how much is it? He's like, oh, it's like a hundred bucks, 150, depending on what you're looking for. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we specialize in cardiology, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of our stethoscopes are geared towards that. And I was like, ah, psh, I don't want to, I don't want to be a cardiologist anyway. And I was like, well, can I get one? And he was like, well, um, check back with me later. Um, and I remember picking up one and it was, it was heavy, but like, but heavy, like basically at the bell and the diaphragm. Like, you know, you could feel it. And I just remember putting it on one of my friend's chest and to hear an auscultate. And I was like, whoa, I could really hear everything with this. Um, but I just left it alone. I put it back and, and, and I just mind my business. And then two days into the conference, when every, I think everybody was leaving and everything like that. And they had sold a lot. I remember you guys sold a lot of those stethoscopes there. And people liked the product. And I remember passing by and I was like, man, you guys are you guys are selling out these stethoscopes. What's going on? It's a lot of stethoscopes I see that are gone now. And then he looked at me, he's like, don't worry, I got one for you. And he handed me a stethoscope. I don't have it with me. It should be in my room somewhere. I don't see it now, but it's somewhere in my room. He gave me the stethoscope. And I remember he was like, you know what? Go out there and be a good medical student. That's what he said to me. And I just I just couldn't believe that he gave it to me. And that stethoscope cost, I think, about like $150, $153, I remember. And I was like, wow, he gave it to me. I can't believe he did that. And 
so imagine this is, I'm in my, I'm a pre-med medical, I'm a pre-medical student. I'm not, I'm pre-med. I'm not a medical student yet. So I didn't use that stethoscope until <laughs> years later because I wasn't in med school. I was still like trying to get to med school. So it wasn't until three years later that I used the stethoscope. And I'll tell you, that stethoscope made me shine on the floors as a medical student. I'll tell you, I caught so many murmurs with that stethoscope murmurs that make me look like a genius in front of my <laughs> my, my 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 residence so mdf you guys rock you guys oh rock. we we absolutely love hearing that you know that was probably darren probably the owner of the company um just by the sounds of it but i'll have to check in oh. with you. i love hearing that story it's it's a great story you know we love getting involved in um medical missions and donating stethoscopes all the time and just giving back because of global health and healthcare for all and just making sure that people have the equipment that they need to facilitate that health, you know, and, um, and it can be difficult sometimes in other places in, around the world who don't have access to the things that they need in order to even do the job that they're trying to do in the first place. So with, with not only the damage from the earthquake, but now with, the, with COVID and then also just the violence and the politics and like everything going on over there. Um, um, yeah, so there, there was, there's been many, many different earthquakes, but the, the, the worst one was in 2010. Yeah. Uh, I know it's, um, it's, I, I'm sure that at some point you were, you know, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about UNICEF and you were talking about being inspired when you were a kid and seeing those long lines of people is that something you maybe will do in the future is is maybe go back and volunteer and do anything like that or have you done work like that yeah um the only reason um i didn't i haven't done it this year was because i'm still waiting on my seniors to like you know set it up <laughs> that's what's good about being a junior um you know it's just waiting for them to set it up and as soon as it's set up i'm going definitely you know there are a couple of people who already went to jamaica to do ultrasound i didn't go because i wasn't i'm not I mean, I love ultrasound, but I didn't feel like this, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to go at the time because I was still getting my feet wet as a new doctor, still learning how to do the system and still learning how to manage patients, you know, effectively. So, um, you know, I didn't go, but what I'm noticing is that people are going more and more now. People are picking back up the old stuff that they were doing before the COVID pandemic. Uh, for sure, by next year or, you know, by summertime, if anything's going on, I'm definitely going for sure, for sure. Yeah, well, you know, always just let us know if there's any medical missions going on that you get involved with. You can email me or anyone uh, else. You guys, man, you guys are very, like, it's very easy to reach out to you guys. Um, and it's so funny because now that I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a medical doctor, you know, I, I feel like talking to you guys is just like, uh, it's, it's it's just a rapport, you know. I remember I I, I don't know, I don't know if I lost the stethoscope. I really don't remember recently. So let me grab this. <laughs> I I think I lost the a stethoscope, and then like you know like you guys like just sent like you guys sent me this. I was like complaining on the phone with some some random <laughs> agent, and I was like yeah you know I you know I, I'm gonna get a stethoscope blah 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 blah. I lost it. He's like well do you have something to carry it on? I'm like no. And she was like well I'll send you something so you can carry it so you don't lose it. And she sent me this. And I have multiple stethoscopes. I mean, this one is also MDF as well. Wow. This one is MDF stethoscope. 
So most of my stethoscopes are cardiology stethoscopes because I'm in the ED, it's very noisy. So I need something that, that's gonna give me when I'm auscultating a patient, I'm gonna get a good isolation in my ears, but I'm also gonna get great depth, especially with a diaphragm. Um, so I need that. So, you know, she sent me this and I'm, I'm so great. You guys are just nice. You guys are very- oh, I love it. I love hearing that. I'm glad that you uh, get good use out of them. <laughs> I would love to talk a little bit more about, I don't exactly know where you are in your journey. Are you in residency now or did you already finish that? So I'm, I'm, in, res I'm in residency right now. So you're a junior in your residency. So is that four years? Four well, years. Four yeah, years. emergency medicine. So emergency medicine goes two ways. Uh, you could do three years um, or you could do four years. Most, most trauma, um, trauma or county or trauma level, uh, level one centers, level one trauma centers or county hospitals are four years. Why? Because, because they want to give you the option of being able to navigate, you know, because there are different types of emergency medicine doctors, you know, some emergency medicine doctors, they don't really deal with trauma. They mostly deal with just medical problems. You know, they, they deal with heart attacks. They, they deal with strokes. They deal with, with, with seizures. They deal with with um, you know somebody coming in because they having like very bad pancreatitis or very bad abdominal infection, that's what they deal with. So they stabilize those patients. And then you have emergency medicine doctors who all they do is deal with gunshot wounds all day long. You know, gunshot wounds, stab wounds, um, you know, motor vehicle accidents, um, crush bone crushing injuries. You know, so emergency medicine is very is wide, but it's a mesh of things and for me specifically, it was important for me to be in a setting where I can do both. And that's why I'm in a four-year program. So I'm in my first year of my four-year program. I'm almost done. Um, I'm about to become a second-year doctor now, soon. Um, but yeah, uh, basically, I, 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 I started medical school in 2017. And I, I was at Downstate. I was in Brooklyn, uh, Downstate Medical Center. And I train basically at Kings County and Downstate, uh, which are also four-year programs. But being in New York, uh, I matched at Jacoby Hospital Center in the Bronx, and um, and I'm I'm happy there because, man, I, this, the types of stuff that I deal with every day is just uh, just incredible. You know, um, Bronx is different. Um, it's very it's like the home of the brave. You know, in terms of the violence, in terms of things that goes on there. You know, it's like you know. Uh, last year, my first few months, uh, I was seeing a gunshot, gunshot cases every day. You know, um, the violence is very, very concerning over there. Um, but it feels good to be there, especially as a black doctor, uh, because I, I, I get to really be hands on in the presentation of different things. Like, you know, a lot of them are black teens, you know, black males that are coming in with like stabbing wounds, gunshot wounds. Oh, we actually recently had a, had a shooting um, you know, near, near our hospital in the Bronx, um, which was very traumatic for a lot of us. So, um, you know, I'm in a four-year program, but for all the medical students who are interested in becoming an emergency uh, medical doctor, please understand that you can do three years, okay? Um, you can go to a, a, a three-year program and, um, you know, you do three years. Don't worry. Um, I, I would say don't worry because, um, they usually see that in three-year programs, the trauma, the trauma experience is not the same. That is true, but you will be you will be adequately prepared. 
if you do three years for trauma. But what I do notice is a lot of people who do three-year programs, they're not really interested in going to county hospitals. Mm-hmm. They're interested in being like medical emergency, not surgical emergency per se, but medical emergency. So I wanted to do both. So that's why I made a four-year program. I see. And, and so kind of talking about going back to the trauma and the gunshot wounds and the stabbing and um, for you, how do you um, handle all of that kind of stress that you're yourself probably going through because you're there to obviously try to save their life or heal them, fix them. And I know that's a lot of pressure, but also just the weight of of being a doctor and knowing that sometimes you're going to lose a patient and um, you don't always have the easiest days. What do you do for yourself to kind of like come back to zero or mentally kind of unwind from that? Or is there anything you can do? And I'd just love to hear kind of what you, what you have to say about that. I mean, what I, 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 I'm very good at um, compartmentalizing things in my life. Uh, I know that when I go to work, I'm here to do a job and I'm here to like be, be what patients need me to be. They need me to assess them, look at them, figure out what's wrong with them and make sure they get home safe or make sure that they go upstairs in the hospital and be treated further. Um, so for me, that's, I'm not saying it's easy, but for me, it's easy for me, it's easy for me to understand. I'm not saying it's easy. It's easy for me to understand what my role is in that situation. Um, Actually, I was talking to one of my friends yesterday. It's funny you asking me this. It's hard to be in a situation where somebody can die in front of you. Um, that that really stressed me out a lot over the past year because literally some of these cases are, if I don't act now, this patient will die. If I don't act now, this patient will, will, like, will have a very, very permanent, long-lasting issue if I don't do something right now. If I don't think fast, something bad will happen. Um, that's very challenging, um, but I understand the role. I mean, I, I picked emergency medicine because that's what I love and that's what, you know, I just want to be able to patch people, you know, very quickly, see if they need to go home and see if they need to come inside of the hospital. Um, what I really do, I try to keep my, my life as grounded as possible, you know. Um, so, I, I, like, I'm a bass player, like, I play the bass. Um, I also dance like, you know, like salsa, what they call it, well, they call it salsa, but me, I call it Cuban music because um, salsa is really Cuban music. Um, people have this un- misunderstanding of what it represents, but re- it really comes from African roots and it developed in Cuba um, with black Cubans. Um, and, you know, I just try to make sure that a lot of my friends and my, especially my friends, you know, they're, they're grounded people, you know, um, when I, get out of the hospital, I, I disconnect as much as I can. I don't, I try not to think about, you know, those bad cases uh, as much as I can. And um, yes, I have a lot of fun stories as well, being in the emergency room. <laughs> some of the funniest stories that you could think of. Some of the saddest stories for sure, but man, some of the funniest stories that you could possibly think of. <laughs> oh, I bet. You want to give us a funny one? <laughs> you want to hear a funny story? one. <laughs> Um, so it was actually recent. This guy, this guy comes in, and there's nothing wrong with him. But the thing is, um, he just want to get checked out. You know, um, he want to get checked out, and he wants food, right? And so 
he's coming in and I'm, I went to see him like, hey, you know, I, I heard that you're here in the hospital in the ED, but I don't know why you're here. Like, why, what brings you to, to the emergency room? And he's like, well, doc, to be honest with you, I just want some food and I just want to sleep here and I just want to be left alone. I was like, well, you know, this is a hospital, right? And, 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 you know, we're not supposed to be doing this. This is not what we do here. We just want to fix people and send them home. And he's looking at me, well, technically that's what's going to fix me right now. And that's what's going to send me home. If you could just give me some hot food and just let me sleep here for a little bit. I was like, you know what? All right. I'll give you five hours. I'll give you some food. I'm going to get some blood work with you. If, if nothing's wrong with you, you're going home. He looked at me, he smiled and he went back to bed. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's one way to get away from home, I guess. <laughs> was this guy who came in and um, he came in. Uh, uh, so he came in, he had an accident and he came in and we had him in a trauma bay because, you know, we, want, we just want to make sure if somebody comes in for an accident, we want to make sure that nothing's wrong with them. There's no bleeding. We'll do like a quick ultrasound, make sure there's no internal bleeding or anything like that. You know, we check out, you know, we do a survey to make sure they're protecting their airway. They can talk. They got good pulses all throughout and they can follow us and everything like that. And, you know, when we get into the trauma bay, um, he, uh, you know, he just was looking at us. He's like, hey, why am I here? Uh, and I was like, well, you had an accident. Are you aware of this? He's like, yeah, but I told the ambulance that I didn't need to come because I can walk, I can think, I have no issues, nothing's wrong with me, so I don't need to be here. He's like, well, um, okay, I get it. Can you at least let us check you out, you know, before we send you out, you know, because, you know, you had an accident. I was like, did you have any nausea? He's like, no. Do you have any vomiting? No. Any headaches or visual changes? No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then we're like, okay, well, all right. Some seems like nothing's wrong with you, but please let us just do some imaging, make sure there's no broken bones and um, you, know, you can go home. He's like, all right, doc, I'll let you do whatever you wanna do. But just so you know, I have a lot of piercings below my belt. So just so you know, no pinky hanky, all right? And all of you nurses, turn around right now before I get undressed. <laughs> Looking at him like, you know what? This guy's fine. He's going to be fine. He just got up from the bed. He got undressed. We had to like turn our backs. He's like, no looking. Everybody who tries to look at him, no, let me take off my pants. No looking. You're not going to look at me. You're not going to look at me. Let me take off my pants. Give me the gown and I'll get undressed myself. Nobody's going to look at me. <laughs> then we had to literally walk, turn around, let him get undressed. All right, can we turn now? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. So, oh my gosh it sounds like you meet some interesting characters <laughs> oh yeah that's really funny <laughs> um i would love to bring it back a little to um you've already given such great advice um do you have any other advice you would want to give to any students or anybody who's thinking about doing a, a similar career as you going into emergency medicine Oh uh, yeah, I mean, well, um, it's, as far as emergency medicine goes, um, I feel like a lot of us. Um, well, I feel like I um, let me speak for myself because I don't know what everybody else is feeling. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, I I chose it. It's a lifestyle. Be prepared for that. It's a way of practicing medicine. Pr medicine is practiced different ways in different fields. You know. Um, 
you know, you're going to have an OBGYN, you're going to have a surgeon, you're going to have, uh, you know, a nephrologist, or you're going to have like a hepatologist, you're going to have a GI doctor. They all practice medicine a certain way. You, as an emergency physician, your job is to figure out what is this patient going to need, you know? Does this patient need to be in the hospital? That's really your job. That's your job, essentially. Does this patient need to be here, right? And you must be able to really analyze that and make a good decision based on that because the last thing you want is to send somebody home who needed to be in a hospital and then something bad happens to them and it comes, it, fall back, it falls back on you. That's number one. Number two, you must be able to like juggle medical issues versus surgical issues. Um, because you got to meet the best of both worlds. And that's important to know that, you know, you're going to deal with both of these circumstances a lot. What I would suggest for any medical student is pick an actual county hospital to volunteer at. Don't volunteer in a clinic. You know, I understand it's very easy. You could volunteer in a clinic, but, you know, that's like should be on your side and stuff, you know, like a volunteer in a county hospital where you're going to see gunshots, where you're going to see people coming in with stab wounds. You're gonna see people coming in with stab wounds to the face. Um, the other day I saw this guy cut up from you know, ear to ear, you know? And thank God I had seen that before because I felt like if I had, that was my first time seeing this, I don't think I would be able to take care of this guy. Um, but I had been seeing that before. I volunteered at Jamaica Hospital before. And I've seen so many different things there that by the time I got to Jacoby or by, even by the time I got to Kings County and now I'm at Jacoby, I feel like, you know, I can handle these like very gruesome looking presentations. Mm -hmm. um, and also at the same time, be ready for the other stuff. Like, you know, people vomiting on you, you know, um, patients not wanting you to take care of them, patients pushing you, patients ve getting very, very agitated, patients coming in on, on all types of drugs and toxins that you don't know about and they're they're aggressive and and they're aggressive and they could die on you because those those drugs can kill them you know a lot of especially in the Bronx you know a lot of patients do heroin a lot of them do uh, um, synthetic marijuana a lot of them do all types of drugs that can cause them to have a heart attack or cause them to have a stroke and and you must be ready to see these things. You, I would suggest you really volunteer in a county setting if you wanna be an emergency physician. So at least you've seen some of the most serious and, and, and um, yeah, some of the most serious things that you, you, you know, that you, that you can come across as a doctor. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. I have a curious question, just hearing you talk about things. Do you ever run across people who, who kind of are forced into the emergency room because by either by ambulance or something like that and are worried about the cost and the price of what their visit is going to be if they don't have health insurance and stuff like that? Do you ever, does that seem to be a kind of an issue there where you um, are? So the thing is, as, as an emergency, as in like one of the policies that to, of the emergency room is we don't refuse anybody. Um, regardless of their insurance status or regardless if they're able to pay or not. Now, I don't know what really goes on with billing afterwards, mm -hmm. but I can tell, I can assure you there's a lot of people who come to the emergency room who do not have any type of income. They're homeless. They're not, um, you know, they're, they don't have, I know they probably don't have a penny to their name. I know that for a fact. And we still take them on. Um, we still treat them. We still, um, you know, I've, I've never seen I've never seen somebody get worried that we're going to treat them and we're going to build them. I've never seen that. I've, I haven't had that experience myself. 
But what I can say is we've had a lot of homeless people, a lot of people who do not, or you know, you do just do not have the money to have the proper care in an emergency setting, and we still take care of them. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, yeah, it, absolutely. I think it's just important that people know that because you don't want someone not going to get the help that they need because they're worried that they can't pay for it. If you have an emergency and you need to go to the emergency room, please go to the emergency room because I know people in the past. I've known people who worry about the cost of things and then they don't go and they get really sick sometimes you know it could have been prevented if they had gone sooner um so i just wanted to kind of bring that up but i also wonder um the other, yeah i i wanted to ask you too hours like do you go from working day shifts to night shifts are you primarily in one or the other or does it kind of just is it change week to week it was daggered. so all this week i was working from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. all this week. And starting Sunday night, I'm going to work from 8 a.m., from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. So they keep me going back and forth. Um, that's tough. That's one of the toughest mm -hmm. things. But I think that's what happens during residency. You know, when you become an attending after your residency, then you could definitely make a decision on what, you know, because that's where you start to talk about contracts. You know, I know different attendings, they only work nighttime because they're not interested in working daytime. They only want to work at night. Um, mm -hmm. There are attendings that I've never seen work during the night. They're not here during the night. There are attendings who do not work during the weekends, you know. Um, depending on the type of contract that you do, um, you can decide. But as a resident, you don't get to decide because your seniors are doing the, the actual schedule. So me, like especially me, oh my God, this is like so tough. But um, I usually work from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And sometimes it just goes back and forth. And sometimes I'll go weeks where I only work days and then I'll go weeks where I only work nights. And, um, but especially this week that just passed, you know, I'm going back and forth. You know, last week I was nights. Then this week that just passed, I was days. And then this week starting Sunday, I'm going to be nights again. So, um, wow. yeah, yeah, as a resident, it's a uh, much, that's something that you have to be prepared for. Yeah. How do you, do you have any tips or tricks or anything to get you through that? Are you relying on heavily on coffee or how are you acclimating your body through those drastic changes? You get used to it. You get used to it because, um, you start to adjust, um, uh, the first time, what I would say is. The first time I had was drinking, like I was drinking a lot of coffee to stay up at night. But then depending on where you are, things get so busy that it's okay. You go, you know, things become so busy. I mean, it's the emergency room, you know. You're only you're probably gonna have only but so many shifts where nothing is going on. I promise you, something is always going on in the ED. Trust me. Um, so at some point you adjust, but honestly. <laughs> I'll be honest, like when I work nights, my days are destroyed. Basically, I work the whole night and I sleep the whole day. Forget about it. As opposed to when I'm working during the day, I can work from eight to eight. And then at 8 p.m., I don't really go home. I can go somewhere else, have a drink, meet some friends, and you know, maybe even go see a, a show or whatever the case is in the city. And then I go home and get ready to, you know, start back again in the morning. But during nighttime, forget about it. I work from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And from 8 a.m. to like 6 p.m., I'm sleeping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I imagine that's really challenging. But it sounds like yeah, you're you're getting through it and you're you're not too far away. So <laughs> it's a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. 
What do you think have been some of your biggest challenges, either as a resident or pursuing medicine or just in general while you've been kind of on this path? What would you say your biggest challenges have been? So it, before I became pre-med, um, the way I was growing up, I, I grew up in Queens and I didn't grow up around a lot of, of, of you know, like I grew up in a very, very tough neighborhood. Um, it was a good neighborhood, but it was like, you know, some of the influences around there was just not ideal. So getting to getting to pre-med, to become a pre-med student was a little bit challenging in terms of, you know, I went to Hillcrest High School and the, 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 um, the statistics are not that good for black males um, to make it to college. I think it was like 18% even, I think only 18% made it out of the two years, the two first years in college, because you know it was like mostly college dropouts. Um, so one challenge academically was very challenging, um, especially because you're learning so much new information. I mean, that's what medicine is all about. You're learning bio, you're learning chemistry, and you're 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 learning anatomy and physiology, and you're trying to find a way to really synthesize all of these things together, and that's kind of challenging. Um, that was challenging for me, and I had to adjust myself a lot to really figure out how to take all of these informations and synthesize them in a way where it makes sense and makes sense clinically. Because you know, as a doctor, you know, I'm not a PhD doctor; I'm an MD doctor, so I need to figure out how this is going to affect my patient, and I need to figure out how I'm going to manage this for an actual human being, not theoretical issue. So that was a challenge for me. Second challenge, I think. Um, uh, for me, especially on this journey, was just you know not having proper mentors. I think if you don't have the proper mentors, you're not gonna make it far. Um, it wasn't until I got the actual you know until I got Miss PA you know Maureen Pearsonian from Queens College. That's when I started having like a clear guidance, and to like you know okay you know what all right this lady's telling me what to do. I'm gonna trust her and I'm gonna do what she tells me to do, and I be, I obviously I became a doctor. Um, another challenge right now for me is working long hours and still being able to have a life. That's challenging. Um, but it's, it's very doable, especially in emergency medicine, because you're going to work like five days out of seven. You're going to have at least like, you know, you're going to have two days off, quote unquote, where you can figure out how to maximize your time outside of the hospital. It's a challenge, but you should be able to do it. And also, one of the biggest challenge, um, is not changing, you know, mm -hmm. not changing. I, 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 one of the promises that I made to myself is I'm not gonna change um, in terms of where I come from, the way I see the world and the way I, I, I'm supposed to represent my family, supposed to represent my people. You know, when I say my people, I have my own definition of that. Um, it's not like the traditional, oh yeah, we're black and you know, I mean like, no, my people and that's personal to me. and. Uh, I think any, everybody, that's, that would be personal to them as well. Um, but there are things that I'm out here fighting for. There are, you know, cultural things that are important to me. There are societal things that are important to me. And becoming a doctor could sideline you from that. It could sidetrack you from that. It could throw you off of that. And like even look what, what I'm wearing today. I'm wearing my Central Park 5 t-shirt here because you know, you know, societal justice is important to me. Um, you know, uh, making sure young black males 
um, you know, stay out of the prison, you know, justice system is, 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 uh, is important to me. Um, there are multiple things that are important to me and you you can be so focused in becoming a great doctor, which is important. It's important to become a great doctor, but I can't let it take me away from, from some other stuff that are also important to me in my life. Cause you have to be multidimensional. You can't be a flat individual. You have to be a well-rounded person. And, um, yeah, I have to, I have to make sure that I don't get I don't forget some of these things about myself. Oh, that's so beautifully said. Yeah, I think it's really important that with anything that you're pursuing that it doesn't become your whole life. It's a part of your life, but it can't be your all of your life. It it we have to live in between. You know, you have to make a life in between the pursuit of the dream, the pursuit of becoming doctor because it does take a lot of your time. It takes a lot of your time while you're there, it probably takes a lot of your brain power when you're not there. Um, and so it's definitely uh, challenging, but I think if you realize that it doesn't always have to be like that, and at some point you do have some sort of control a little bit, hopefully over your schedule that you can kind of find that balance that's really important for anything that you're doing. Yeah, you know, it took something to happen to me, you know, it took something and what happened to me, unfortunately, was my dad having a heart attack in front of me. Um, and that was one of my biggest drivers. And I think what I would encourage medical students who will read this, you know, hear this podcast is that you, it's okay if you, if you want to be a doctor, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to have a tragic reason to become a doctor. Okay. Is what I'm saying, but do find something, do find something that will solidify your emotions on wanting to do it, you know, cause because I've noticed many people become doctors and they quit after a year or two. Um, actually, somebody, one of somebody I know quit like a couple of months after becoming a doctor um, because they realized this was not for them. Um, and that's, that's one of the worst ways to find out, right? When you actually become a doctor, that's when you realize, okay, I don't wanna be a doctor. That's because they probably didn't analyze exactly why they wanted to be a doctor, you know? Um, I think for a lot of us, we do it because medicine is our thing. You know, we really feel like we like dealing with people's problems in a scientific way. Um, we like to figure out what's going on with their pancreas. We like to figure out what's going on with their heart. We like to figure out what's going on with their kidneys. That's important to us. You know, we love it. It's not, it's not like we're just sitting here and, and just like, oh, you know, we're just going to become a doctor. I'm going to make a lot of money. And no, that, that's not enough. Um, so find a good reason why you want to do it. Um, and, and when you do find a good reason, you know, whatever you feel like is putting urgency in you doing it, make sure you do it right away. The last thing you want to do is just letting your years blow, letting your years blow by and, and you're not working on becoming, uh, you know, becoming what you're supposed to become. Um, and, and also don't be afraid if you feel like this is not for you, if you feel like medicine is not for you, that's okay. You know, um, a lot of, a lot of people go to, uh, you know, medical school because their parents wanted them to go to medical school. You know, they're trying to follow a family legacy. And I understand that that's very much understandable, but if you don't feel like it's for you, it's okay to not do it. Don't feel ashamed. Don't let anybody push you into this. Um, it's okay. If you don't, if you don't think that this is for you, um, and um, be like me. <laughs> what I mean by that is, um, like me, 
I'm I'm an avid salsa. Um, I'm actually a DJ. I'm a salsa DJ. Um, I play I play in New York City. Um, I play at multiple places. Um, I play at um, Sahadi's Industry City. Um, I play with Chino Pons. Um, you guys can look up these guys. They're great bands. Quartito Guataca. They're great bands in New York City that play salsa. Um, I don't like to call it salsa, but I know that's the big name for it. Um, it's really musica cubana. Um, and, uh, you know, keep yourself very diversified. You know, me, I, I speak four languages, but um, I-, I Wow. Okay, wait, four <laughs> languages, what do you speak? I wanna hear. Um, French is my first language, uh, you know, because I grew up in Haiti and because we were colonized by the French. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's my first language because when I started to go to school, I, I spoke French and I speak Creole, which is the native language of Haiti, um, you know, Creole. And then when I came to America, when I came to New York, like I told you, I lived in a, um, I lived in a family house with my sister. We lived in one bedroom, but we were sharing the house with like um, three guys. Two was from Honduras and one was from, one was from Guatemala. So I learned how to speak Spanish with them. Um, uh, and obviously English. So, you know, I keep myself very diversified in terms of that. I, I, I go out with some of my friends, a lot of my friends, they, they, they're very surprised. Like, you know, like one of my best friends is from Colombia. And, and one of, actually one of my best friends is from Colombia and another best friend of mine is from Cuba. And we speak in Spanish all the time. And I, I just like hanging out with these guys because they're not doctors. So I feel very comfortable having like a life outside of medicine with them and, you know, playing the bass and, you know, having fun with, 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 you know, with, with, with them is like something that is very important to me. It helps me stay alive. It helps me stay, stay very much active in the city apart from medicine. So, you know, do that. Don't, don't be boxed in, please don't be boxed in. I love it. I know. I saw you are so passionate. Um, it's one thing I really, really admire and love about you is you can tell that you're full of life and full of passion and um, that you go for it um, and you live your life and enjoy it. And I, I think that's great, great advice. Um, four languages. Wow. Um, you, you're pretty amazing. You play the bass, you DJ, you dance, you're a doctor, uh, you speak four languages. I'm sure there's a million other things I don't know. You're probably a five-star chef. I mean, who knows? Um, <laughs> but it's great though. I mean, it's really important for people, you know, uh, in anything that you do, if you become super focused, hyper-focused on something, then you really are only doing yourself a disservice because there's all these other facets to you that you're never really going to get to explore. Like maybe you're really good at learning languages. Maybe you're really good at math. Maybe you're really good at dancing or singing or writing poetry or whatever. But if you never take the time to actually discover other parts of yourself, then that's just going to go undiscovered and you're not going to be the full version of you that you should be. And also um, four languages, I, I still can't get over it, but it, it has to be great for being a doctor too in the Bronx. Yeah, it is. Being it able is. to communicate. I mean, in the Bronx, they mostly speak Spanish. They're Spanish speaking. And um, so that's very important to, to for me to be able to speak with them, you know? Like some some patients, they don't talk to me in, in English. They can't speak English. They only speak Spanish. So mm -hmm. I have to talk with them like that. But the interesting thing is I taught math before medical school. I was teaching math at Queens College. I was a math teacher. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me because you were talking about all the math you, you, yeah, you studied you know, in college. Mathematics 
And while I was waiting to take my MCAT, I started working as a math adjunct at Queens College. So yeah, um, I, 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 I don't think, you know, one, I guess one of my biggest advice I would give to medical students or people who wanna go into medicine, you don't need, you don't need to be a bio major. You don't need to be a, a chemistry major. You don't need to be a physics major. Please, please get rid of that notion. Um, if anything, medical schools are looking for well-rounded individuals. Before, everybody thought, oh, no, I have to be super smart. I have to be a nerd in biology. I have to be a nerd in chemistry. That's the reason they're going to accept me. That is false. That is false. Um, be yourself. If you love music, you can be a music major and still go to med school. If you love philosophy, you could still be a philosophy major and go to med school. That is fine. They're going to take you as long as you have good grades in your biologies, your chemistries. These are just classes that you have to take. You just have to take those classes and be able to endorse it to the medical school and say, hey, I took these courses. Can I apply here? And I have my bachelor's in physics or I have my bachelor's in philosophy or I have my, my bachelor's in acting. That's okay. There was a girl who was in my medical class, medical school class, who was an actress before going to med school. Mm -hmm. she graduated. She's doing family medicine now somewhere. I don't remember where, but she was an actress before. So you don't have to be a biologist before you go to med school. Please get rid of that notion. That is not the purpose here. The purpose is to be an individual who can understand science. Okay put it put its practicality into real life and know how to deal with people um and i'll guarantee you most of my med school teachers that's what they were looking for in us um they were looking for okay can you actually educate a patient into making them take the right medication can you explain to them what's going on in their bodies why they're in poor health can you do this it's not about sitting here and <laughs> describing the Krebs cycle to a patient like you're not gonna do that you know um it's not about sitting here and explaining to the patient why their creatinine levels you know what the nephrons are doing in the kidneys that's causing their creatinine levels to to go up you know if anything you're going to explain to them that okay you know your kidney is not functioning well you need to do this or you need to do that oh your your the blood level is your blood glucose level is high because you're not eating well or you're not taking your insulin or you're not taking your medication properly you're not going to sit here and explain to them exactly what's going on in your body or in their body that's your this that's your job your job is to know what's going on with them and then you let them know what they're supposed to do to make sure they stay healthy so please forget about the the, the notion that you have to be a scientist for you to be for, for you to go to med school Okay. Oh, it's so well said. I'm really glad you brought that up because I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And um, I talked to a lot of people on these podcasts and I had no idea um, that you could, you didn't have to major in those things to go to med school. So, well, it sounds like you are a great doctor and you're going to continue to be one. So I'm really excited to see and check in with you, hopefully maybe in a year or so, or check in and see how things are going with you. Um, but I would love for you to just, uh, for everyone listening and watching, if they want to reach out to you, how they can find you, listen to your music, DJing, anything, any social media handles or any kind of spot you want to send people to, you can verbally say it. And then I will also be linking it down in the video for people to click. 
Um, so, um, especially uh, medical students, um, like my page is, I think my page is like heavy on music, but honestly, anybody can reach out to me there. Cause if you go to my Instagram, my Instagram is Gagu underscore Grayson. It's G-A-G-O-U underscore Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N. And um, basically it's just, my Instagram is all about math, medicine, and music. Um, right now, I'm mostly focused on medicine and music. So if you want to reach out to me, ask me for any advice, please go to my Instagram and just, you know, hit me up there. I don't mind, you know, talking to anybody who like, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly, I'm busy, but at the same time, if I have some downtime and I'm on my Instagram, I never shun people away. I never act superstar on anybody. So if you text me on Instagram, um, for sure. Um, and you can see me play the bass as well. You know, I, I'm not going to play the bass right now, but uh, I, I have so many videos coming. So, and especially if you're in New York City, please um, check me out. Um, I'm very much approachable. I'm very much, I'm, I'm reachable. You can reach out to me. You can meet me. Um, there's always some events that I'm going to be a part of, and you can always come there and meet me without any issues. So, you know, Gagu underscore Grayson. It's my Instagram handle. Um, yes, you have to check it out. I've seen it from with my own eyes. It's awesome. Um, multifaceted man over here, Jack of all trades. So uh, yeah, great. Well, it was so wonderful having you on our podcast. Thank you so much for joining today. Um, it's been a real pleasure. MDF, you guys are great. You guys are amazing. Listen, I'm wearing it. Listen, I'm, <laughs> this is what I use. So, you know, you guys are great. I love having a piece of you guys with me when I'm in the emergency room. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for all that you do. Mm -hmm.